1: That's what it sounded like in Ishikawa, Japan, yesterday. Actually, that would sound from inside a karaoke shop uh, in Ishikawa, Japan, yesterday, when a 7.6 earthquake hit the region. The death toll has now reached officially 48, but officials warn that number will continue to climb as the damage is assessed already. It's being reported that tens of thousands of homes have been destroyed. They're also warning residents that, of course, uh, there could be more quakes, perhaps even bigger quakes, lying ahead. Uh, that remains to be seen. So let's get the details on what happened, because there was also a, a lot of concern about tsunamis, of course. And if you remember, that very good reason. We know what happened in Japan. I believe it was 2011. Um, so let's get... uh you know, an update on what the situation was. We're going to have a conversation now with Martin Unsworth, who's a professor of physics, earth, and atmospheric sciences, University of Alberta. Martin, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, good morning, Shay. Thanks for having me.
1: So this was a substantial earthquake, When we're talking about 7.6. that That's a big one, right? Put it in perspective for us.
0: Well, it's a large earthquake, but With the the Richter scale, people have probably heard about every time you go up one point, it's actually 10 times more movement of the ground. So 7.5 is a big earthquake, but this is a lot smaller than the earthquake Japan had in 2011, which was a a 9.0.
1: Right. Yeah. And, And it's orders of magnitude like the numbers seem close, but we have to remember it's all exponential, right?
0: That's right, exactly. So every time each number up is 10 times bigger in terms of how much the ground is moving up and down and side to side.
1: Uh, So what we're seeing, like I say, uh, about 48 people uh, lost their lives so far, but it's expected it'll go up. Tens of thousands of homes, power was out. Does that sort of match what you would expect in terms of damage from an earthquake of that size?
0: Well, one of the things we see with earthquakes is it's really the the buildings and the infrastructure that determine, you know, how many people are are killed and what the damage is. I mean, just for reference, people may remember there was an earthquake in Morocco back in September. That was actually a 6.8, and that killed several thousand people. And that was mainly because of the construction in Morocco. You know, in the villages there, they were built of stone, with not particularly good cement and no reinforcing. You know, Japan has good infrastructure. It's perhaps the best prepared country on earth for earthquakes. Yeah. And in this area, you know, all of the buildings, you've probably seen, you know, the wooden buildings that have collapsed, you know, so they're not huge multi stories and the big tower blocks that are there are usually built with, you know, with earthquake conditions in mind. So it's unfortunate there's a loss of life, but, you know, in a place like Japan, an earthquake like this that was, you know, not huge, but the other factor perhaps that was kind of a, made things worse was it was very near the surface. So when you get a shallow earthquake, I think the depth was 10 kilometers. That means the ground moves up and down much more violently than with a deep earthquake. So that's kind of why, you know, that relatively, you know, large but not mm-hmm. huge earthquake caused the damage it did.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Um Now, there, of course, warning of aftershocks, completely normal. We know that happens after every earthquake. Is there any way of knowing, because I also was doing some reading this weekend saying that, hey, you know, maybe this was just uh, like, a, like I don't remember what they called it, not an aftershock, maybe like a pre-shock, and there's a bigger earthquake to come. Any way of knowing? Uh, can you forecast what might be next?
0: That's, that's a really good question. Well, There was, in fact, a foreshock, as they call them, a few minutes before this one, but you only really know if it's a foreshock when you get a bigger earthquake following. So, one right. of the things we've learned about earthquakes is, I mean, they're, they're quite difficult to predict. You know, there's been various things people have looked at for earthquake prediction and, you know, various methods have been proposed and they've been tested and some seem to work a little bit, but not always. But one of the big problems comes is if you know there's a big earthquake coming next week, you know, now is the time to prepare for it, not two minutes before when you get some, some signal. So it could be there's larger earthquakes. You know, this part of Japan has had large earthquakes in the past. You know, they're not as big as the ones on the east coast of Japan, which mm-hmm. are, occur under the Pacific, but they're, you know, they're large enough to, as we've seen, cause a lot of damage. So it could be that, you know, earthquakes sometimes come in sequence, you know, one fault line lets the energy loose, and then that just transfers the stress somewhere else, and then you get a sequence of earthquakes like that. So it's it's very, very hard to predict that. You know, most of the fault lines in Japan, we know where most of them are, and, you know, the the civil defense authorities there have a very good system in place, but... There are still big unknowns with earthquakes.
1: Um, and speaking of unknowns, I wanted to ask you about tsunamis. We know there's a connection between earthquake and tsunamis, and I think we pretty much understand the physics of what creates it. but there were there were warnings that went out that we're talking about this could be catastrophic in terms of a tsunami, but that never really materialized. There were waves of about a meter um, from what I saw. So what what goes into what kind of tsunami will follow an earthquake and what makes you know one tsunami worse than another following an earthquake?
0: That really hinges on how much the seafloor moves. So after an earthquake, I think this earthquake, parts of Japan have moved up and down two or three meters. So if you can imagine the seafloor suddenly jumping up two or three meters, wow. the water's going to go somewhere. That's yeah. what produces the wave. But it's sometimes, you know, a few days afterwards or months afterwards when the data has been analyzed, it's easy to understand. But in those, those minutes when you're between the earthquake and the tsunami arriving that's when you need to make a prediction and there are quite a lot of unknowns you know we don't know at that point how much the fault moved and sometimes there are aspects of the movement which are kind of really hard to predict so that was actually the case in 2011 the, the tsunami on the east side of Japan the fault moved a lot more than it had been expected and that's what made those huge waves that came on shore on the east coast so it's it's good that the prediction was kind of on the the large side yeah. people got out of the way but yes you know you've got you have minutes to you know tens of minutes to to an hour with tsunami so that is actually useful time to to get people to move out of the way and to give them a warning but it's not an exact science yet
1: exactly yeah and you'd think you know as you mentioned 2011 uh, that's still fresh in the memory of a lot of us Uh, and i can only imagine it's something that they talk about maybe not every day in japan but it's something that's on the minds of people especially following an incident like this so i don't imagine they needed a lot of warning to to head to higher ground
0: no. Well, one of the things in Japan also on the East Coast is it's not just, you know, it's, it's historical memory that if you go on the East Coast of Japan, there are these, these things called tsunami stones, which are stone markers that were placed during previous earthquakes, sometimes even hundreds of years ago, basically saying, put your house on the uphill side of this sign because the wave reached here on such and such a day. So that sort of historical memory in Japan is, is a very useful aspect of understanding, you know, just what earthquakes do. But when you have a sequence of earthquakes, you know, they're not all exactly the same. Same. Yeah. One can produce maybe a larger amount of shaking or, or a bigger tsunami than another. So, you know, you've, you've got to be conservative. But... You know, but again, generally, you know, the, the preparations in Japan seem to have worked. For example, they have a system that when the shaking is detected, they will automatically send a radio signal and the bullet trains, the high speed trains will will slow down. That happened to several trains yesterday so that when the ground shakes, they're not going at high yeah. speed, they're going slower. So lots of those things kind of were in place and, and certainly helped yesterday.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they've got a pretty robust uh, response in place already. Uh, Martin, great insight. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it.